Today's episode is an on-air coaching call. This means that I take a fellow yoga teacher through a mini strategy session that they have graciously allowed me to release as a podcast episode. These on-air coaching calls are a fascinating peek into the brains and the lives of other yoga teachers. My intention for sharing them is to help you feel more connected and less alone with the joys and the challenges of teaching yoga. Today's episode is with a yoga teacher and yoga therapist who lives in a rural area and is confused about whether or not to focus on building an online component to her business. Anna's passion is women's health, and post-COVID, she's come to the realization that her current business structure isn't sustainable. You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Anna, welcome to the podcast. It's so cool to get to chat again after, I think you said it was almost five years ago that you were part of my 100 conversations, right? With yoga teachers. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Time flies. (laughs) It does. So I'd love to start with a bit of your background and your story of when you first started practicing yoga and what inspired you to start teaching? My grandma used to um, practice yoga. So whilst I was growing up, I always saw how she had so much knowledge and the way that she dealt with pain. And um, little things she'd say to me like, uh, hey, Anna, if you get annoyed with your brother, just turn around, count to 10, breathe, and then come back to the situation. Little nuggets of information like that. And at the time, I just thought, wow, she's so wise. But also things that would happen, such as, well, she she suffered from cancer several times, um, survived cancer, I say, several times um, before, unfortunately, she passed away. But the way that she managed that, and I, I, I really think at the time, I thought physically yoga helped her. But I hadn't realized how much it had helped immensely. And now I realize those little nuggets of information she gave me were definitely from her yoga practice. I also remember this time when she did like this forward somersault fall. She fell from a, a quite a height and she just landed on her feet. And I thought, oh, whoa, if that's what yoga can do for you, I'm, I'm into that. When I was in university, I tried it out a few times, but it just didn't really hit home with me. I had come from a dancing background. So I loved, you know, moving already. I wasn't there yet, I guess. And then after a stint of teaching English in Bangkok, I came back to London. So I'm originally from North Wales, but I started working there and I'd have to go past this uh, shala to go to work. And I'd see these really shiny, happy people coming out. And I thought, oh my God, they look so, I don't know, like, yeah, light, happy and fit. And I thought I would really love to go in there, but I just feel too shy, too nervous. But it turned out that my new flatmate worked in reception there several days a week so she could have free classes. Um, She had just been going on at me and she's like, look, here, Anna, here's some vouchers. Go use them. So I was like, oh, okay, now I have no excuse. I have to go in. So I took this deep breath, went in, and I went to an Ashtanga class. And I was hooked from the word go because there wasn't just the movement 
it was also the breath and you know you're just suddenly just taken away you're 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 immersed with this breath and that was just amazing so very very quickly i had a self practice and very quickly yeah it spoke to me like little words would come for example in trigonasana like i don't like the job <laughs> or i don't like where i am right now and i'd been feeling like this little void and suddenly it was like this hand behind me pushing me so quite quickly i basically packed up everything in london and decided to take a little bit of time out so i went back to my parents who live in the southwest of france i'm very lucky they've got a beautiful house lots of you know space so i went there and randomly picked up the upanishads the teachings in that book just really really spoke to me for one thing i went really deep into meditation and suddenly i thought i really want to go to india let's go to india i'd need to make more money so i ended up going to teach esl again with esl means english second language so i ended up going just over the border to spain to teach quite a few of my students i'd i'd have to kind of examine them so they could get the certificate for university and they'd be really nervous and so i'd just be like look just breathe we do a little bit of meditation or relaxation and i realized how much i loved that how much i loved sharing it and seeing the relief on their faces and also i'd still doing my daily practice and some people were like hey anna can we come join you so i ended up having this like mini little group in my in my living room and i really enjoyed it and then i realized there was a lot i didn't know about other people's bodies and how it would be interesting to learn to help these people but i hadn't quite put two and two together yet so then i ended up going to india did a lot of traveling experienced quite a few variations of hatha yoga went to mysore did all of that and came home and was like after that i want to do a teacher training <laughs> <laughs> so I did a teacher training which I was very lucky almost immediately it happened that somebody that my mum knew was looking for a yoga teacher ashtanga teacher so I said well I'm not an ashtanga teacher I can't say that I am that because I don't have all the certificates but I'll definitely share what I know and soon we we actually changed that after a year from being ashtanga to hatha flow it was more i don't know it was more suitable for everybody and from there word of mouth and i started teaching and i've been teaching ever since yeah so that's a little story yeah, yeah. what a what a great adventure what a great opportunity to have that adventure and all those travels and that chance to explore that side of yourself and life It was amazing and I feel so so lucky but at the same time you know leaving London it wasn't easy but I think probably most people who practice you have this moment where it's sort of like something's telling you you need to go and do that and and you kind of just have to listen you're almost on autopilot but I was very lucky that I was able to do that yeah now you're still living in the south of France and you're married and have children So you're balancing, yeah. right? There's a lot going on. You're balancing your family life and I think you said that you're renovating a old house. Yeah. And you're still teaching and you're trying to figure out 
maybe you feel like you're a bit at another crossroads of where do I go from here with my teaching? How long have you been teaching? Absolutely. So I started teaching pretty much when I decided to stay here. So I think that was 2015. And the reason why I decided to stay here is because I met my husband. So I met my husband just before I did my teacher training. Yeah, before that, I'd really thought like, oh, I'll, I'll go back, I don't know, to London or go to a city and start teaching again. And then I thought, you know what, I've come into my 30s. I just turned 30. And so I don't know, I don't really know if I want to go back to city life and, you know, all that that has to offer. I actually love the countryside. It's beautiful here. Like, yeah, why why move? So here you are and you live in a rural area. And so it feels mm. to you like there's some limitations to how much you can grow your in-person teaching. And yes. one of the topics that you put into the intake form was, you know, this question of should I teach online? And if so, how do I start? Am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah, it's very much at the beginning. So you know, when I first started, it was it was great. All these new students, these these new classes that were coming up, and you know, there's been two limitations. Well, there's more than two limitations, if you like. So, for one thing, yeah, it's a very rural area. It's lots of little villages. The other thing is that I'm living in southwest of France, so most of my students are anglophone. And so there's a language thing as well. So yeah, my husband is French and we speak French at home. However, when it comes to yoga and being being with a group of people, sometimes I feel like there's limitations. So I've tried like just, for example, my first Ashtanga teacher, she was Spanish. And I would say that her, her English was, it was good. But actually, in some ways, it was better that she couldn't speak perfect English because I discovered for myself what I needed at that time. You know, it wasn't thrust upon me, all this information. So I've tried to keep this concept in my head, but it's quite difficult. Maybe that's this self-belief thing. I don't know. I think that, you know, we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves. It's so common, maybe even universal for yoga teachers that we can appreciate another person's class that's very different. But when it comes to our mm -hmm. own class, we feel this pressure to almost perform and yeah. to control the experience of our students, right? That we feel so responsible for their experience instead of saying, okay, I have some information and some really amazing practices to share, and I'm going to go in and I'm going to do my best to share those. And then I'm going to allow them to have their own experience. That's so hard. I feel like that's like it's mm -hmm. probably the hardest thing to do as a yoga teacher. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my, my husband always laughs at me because if you imagine when we go somewhere on holiday, I'm always like, look at that light shining there. Look at that beautiful window. It's kind of like I have to point out everything in case he misses the experience. But of course, he can take the experience in it for himself. And it's exactly the same thing. It's almost having that trust and confidence that I, I don't need to give it to them. But that is very, yeah, it is hard. I, I would also say, though, you know, since doing my, so I, I studied yoga therapy and since doing the yoga therapy course, I realized how much I love really getting in deep 
and being one-to-one or with small groups of people and really understanding what makes them tick and and seeing results you know someone saying look this is what's happening in my life I would love I don't know to go from A to Z and 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 seeing them go on that journey and I I, so I want to get more into that but like I said it's limited here so do I take it online and and if so how do I go about that how do I go beyond these mountains around me yeah I mean the opportunities online are really exciting and I'm blown away and very very grateful for you know even being able to have this conversation together with you and I right now where we're able to see each other we're able to stream video i mean the technology is so cool and the opportunities are tremendous and and they're scalable too right just because you do some teaching online doesn't mean you have to have like an enormous complicated online business there's levels and stages i know yoga teachers who have very sweet and intimate online programs and then ones that have bigger and more complex online programs you put in your intake form that with this renovation that there's some financial constraints and i want to learn more about those because one of the things that's going to really limit you and make having an online business no fun is if you're in a rush to make money <laughs> it's not a quick path to cash for most people yeah it's not so much about being in a rush to make money it's more that i'm looking at the i suppose i'm actually looking for within what's going to happen in five years time in 10 years time i mean it was all fun, you know, before I had kids and it's still fun. But now there's this serious element of, you know, one day they might want to go to university. And one thing that COVID has really shown me is that I think I need to actually be a little bit more savvy. So, you know, I've always had these dropping classes and been like, yeah, sure, you know, it's fine. Just you can pay when you can. Da, 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 da. And during COVID, I got pregnant. With Ada, I made enough money when I was pregnant to have some, some what's the word I'm looking for? Some care, some financial... Like childcare? Yeah, childcare. That's the word. Thank you. <laughs> From the government. I made enough to have that. But with Oyana, because of COVID, I dropped the prices because I think most of us did because suddenly we thought on Zoom classes you know shouldn't be as expensive which I think we've most of us have learned now actually that's not the case is it's just a different type of setup so I didn't earn enough for childcare, and that was like a huge like aha moment for me like yeah one day I'm gonna maybe I won't want to retire but there's going to be a time when maybe I'm going to need a little something so it's not necessarily about making cash fast it's about looking at the big picture and realizing that doing dropping classes and being so dependent on a very small crowd of people is not viable. So I think it's more that I'm looking like, okay, where am I going next? How am I going to make this more of a career than a hand in mouth job? And I think like most teachers, you know, we, we feel a little bit like being, we're a bit like villains when we think of money and yoga, but I do think the amount of training and money that goes on training 
that we do, the amount of time we put in, it's a job like anybody else. Definitely, you know, especially as we, you know, get into decades of teaching, there does come a time where we realize, wow, I am putting so much of myself, so much of my time, so much of my energy into this project. And in the end, what I look at, you know, how much it is supporting me to live, it's not making sense, right? That's such a common story. And it's really the story that inspired me to do what I do. Because what I learned when I reached that point myself is that, well, it doesn't have to be that way. And you don't have to feel like a villain when you make business decisions, when you make decisions, let's not even call them business decisions. We can say decisions around your teaching and your energy. And Mm -hmm. what are the circumstances that support your ability to really show up fully for your teaching and feel like your teaching is being appreciated and that it is sustainable. Mm, that makes, yeah, that's, that's a good way. Yeah. So you know, can- usually, cause usually I do say like, you know, business decisions or start treating it like a business and that mm. could work that, I mean, that's not false. But what I'm realizing is that there's this energetic level that is beyond financial. And the financial piece is part of it. But part of it too is an individual circumstance of how am I being supported by my community? And is this relationship mutual? Does this relationship feel like there is this back and forth flow that everybody benefits versus one person's giving, 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 and the other people are kind of like, yeah, I'll throw you some, you know, it just, it's, it's not even, it's definitely not on purpose, right? It's a, it's about finding the format for your teaching and the boundaries. You feel that your teaching is appreciated, you feel fulfilled, and you feel safe to continue putting this much energy into it when there are real world circumstances that, you know, you need to pay for using money. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes that, that's exactly it. Cause it's not like I'm in an ashram. It is a hard one though. Cause you, like you said, you don't want to think about it just being a business and money. And I think every time after I have a really good deep practice, it's just like you're back on track. And I think that is something that most of us teachers we need to remember is our own self-practice. The self-practice is not dependent on us being a teacher, on, on teaching. So we can take breaks. We can completely transform the format of our teaching. And the constant is the practice. So, I mean, I think that's so cool that you have that strong relationship at the center. So when it comes to this other piece, this sustainability and finding the structure that works and that holds you in a way that you can really show up fully for your teaching. Online is is wonderful and I'm happy to help you brainstorm what that would look like. I don't think you have to necessarily choose between online and in-person. You know, you have in-person things going on, so it's not like you would have to do just one or the other. But what I'm hearing from you is that you don't see enough opportunities in person. Is that right? 
Yeah. When I think about what I really, I really love doing, like, for example, I, I tried out these workshops for women's health and I was so happy. I was so excited. I knew that there were people out there that it could really benefit. And, you know, I had like maybe five come to the workshop or I, yeah, I think that was the lowest I had number I had. And it's like, oh, and it's the amount of work you put into it and passion and energy. And you think, okay, well, if I've got all of this to give and I want to share it, because I've seen in one-to-one context what it's done. And I think in a group context, it's more affordable for people and they can talk together and they have this ability to to connect, which we can still do online because I've, I've been a student online in a small group and I've seen how it can work. I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe that's the way. You know, the... The first thing that would come to me when I hear, okay, I put a ton of energy into this workshop and I only got five people. Well, how could you structure the workshop in such a way that five people was perfect? Like, what would you need to charge for the workshop? And how could you frame it and advertise it to show the value so that five people would be Wonderful. Because you said you love one-on-one, you love small groups. Five is a small group. There's no reason for five to not be sustainable. You just have to charge the right amount. Mm. Yeah, that's always hard for me. I haven't put my classes up since. One group, they actually put their classes up for me. Hey, Anna, we're giving you a rise. It's really hard to charge more. Where do you think that comes from? I guess it, there's a lot of like, confidence in yourself I don't feel that in in one way but then on the other hand there's this like is that is that fair for other people can can they afford that I think most people probably can but I guess it's coming from my from myself does that make sense it does absolutely no that's really helpful so I think the first thing that would be really useful to write down and to remind yourself of is that it's not up to you to guess what people can afford. That is their job to decide whether or not they can afford something. Mm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. One of the most stressful things is to feel responsible for something that you don't have any control over. You have no control over whether or not they can afford it and you can't even know. So when you take on that responsibility, it creates anxiety So that would just be my first tip is to remind yourself it's not your job to know or predict what somebody else can afford. Your job is to figure out what's sustainable for you and let them decide if that works for them. Because nobody is going to attend your classes and then like go hungry. People know what their kind of baseline needs are. And even though as yoga teachers, we appreciate yoga so much and we love it and we think it's so very important, we also know that nobody is going to be sacrificing their baseline needs to attend a yoga class. And if somebody truly can't afford it, then they have the option to reach out to you and say, hey, Anna, I love your classes and I'm really stretched to afford the fee can you work with me in some way? You can even put that out there as you raise your prices. If this becomes a hardship for you, reach out. We'll work something out. 
Yeah. That's a, uh, thank you. That's, that's some good points there. Thank you. I'm writing it down so I can read it. Yeah. And you can put it this way when you raise your rates too. I haven't been raising my rates. I'm recognizing that I've been doing myself and you a disservice by not structuring my teaching in a way that's sustainable for me. I'm changing my structures and my rates to be able to do this over the long term because I want to do this over the long term. And if it creates a hardship for you and you feel inspired to keep working with me, let's have a chat. I kind of feel like the big opportunity is to make money neutral. It doesn't express your inherent value as a teacher or as a human being. Money's a tool. It is a way that we express our values. As a tool, the money is neutral, right? We can infer or confer value onto it and use it in ways that are more skillful, less skillful, more productive, more generous. You know, there's like, there's tons of opportunities. But if we remove some of our stories about money from money as a tool, then we can make more conscious decisions about how do I want to use this tool? It's a tool. Yeah. That's lovely. Remove the stories about money. I mean, easier said than done, right? <laughs> yeah, but you know, I knew we were having this talk today and it, and it got me writing some things down. And before I left London, I did this thing called a Winnie Mish list. So a mini wish list, but with the win. And we basically were like, if we had no responsibilities, didn't have to think about money or anything, what would we do? And we both had our pens and we wrote on our own pieces of paper in a triangle, actually. So from the most important to the least. And it had all the things we love, our passions, what we hope for in the future. And funnily enough, like we, we've been ticking these things off, you know, to, which shows that these things actually are achievable. So I did another little Winnie Mish list before I, I spoke to you. And so it's like, okay, if I had no, I didn't have to think about money. I didn't have to think about my family where and what and how it, you know things go so yeah that's what you've just said there really really rings in um thank you that's beautiful i love that i love that exercise i'll definitely try it out myself one of the other things that makes me think of is what you said about when we decide what we want sometimes we assume that having that requires money, but that's not always the case. And a lot of times we figure out other ways to meet our needs. And if we sort of go another level deeper, generally what we want is a certain feeling. And if we can figure out how to give ourselves that feeling, then things open up a bit about, you know, we think, oh, this is the only way I'm going to get that feeling. No, there's, once you, once you go deeper and you figure out what is the feeling I want when I think I want this other thing, all of a sudden you've got options. Actually, I want that feeling. What else could give me that feeling? A walk in the woods could give me that feeling, you know, just one example. So that's sort of the next level that came to me as you were, as you were sharing that exercise. There's so much freedom in that. Yeah, it's going, I guess it's going deeper. And it's exactly like you said, because I wrote to you and said, you know, I'd yeah been thinking about the women's health groups, but then on the other side, it's like, okay, stop thinking about 
groups of people that you want to serve, stop thinking about it in that way. What is it that actually sparks, you know, sparks me? What is it? And what is it that I want actually from this? What is it that I want to see for other people? What is it? What is the aim for other people as well? Because that is so important to me that when you see that journey, someone goes on. And that came into it, like it's seeing a journey. That's huge. And I think when you approach it from that direction, it's going to be a lot clearer whether to go online or whether to focus in person and experiment. I want to give you and anyone listening permission to experiment with the structure of your classes. You get to try things out especially for those of you who are like, okay, I've been teaching a really long time. I've realized it's not working. Great. That's good information. You recognize there's something off. Now change something. You, you don't have to get it right. You, you'll just learn as you change one thing and you see how that works, you'll keep learning. So when it comes to the question of whether or not to go online, a lot of times people will have this external sense like, oh, online is the place to be, but I'm not really sure why. Like it's like this external message and it's not coming from the inside. And I think in order to be willing to learn the skills and do the work, the message has to come from the inside. Like there needs to be a spark and this sense of yes, right place. This is where I need to be. Does that make sense? Because I think I'm just hearing so many messages from yoga teachers and, and people around where it's like, I've heard online is the opportunity, but I'm not sure how or why. Well, you don't, ne you don't need to know how, but you do need to know why. Because if you don't mm -hmm. know why, it's too much work. It's going to be too confusing. You're not going to be able to withstand the discomfort of how much there is to learn to build an online business. Mm -hmm. There's so much opportunity and it's very, very uncomfortable, even for people who are comfortable with technology. Let me put it that way. <laughs> okay. It's doable. It's absolutely doable, but you have to have a strong enough drive and feeling of purpose that you're willing to withstand the discomfort. Okay, I see where you're coming. So you need that strong message and that strong belief in something that you want to share with countless amounts of people. Well, it doesn't have to be countless. It, it needs to be a recognition that online is the best place to share your work. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. And you don't need to know why, but you do need to believe it. Because if you question it, you're going to question every step of the way and it's going to be really not fun. Yeah. Okay. I see what you're, what you're saying. <laughs> Thanks, Meadow. Yeah, no problem. So with that framework and context in mind, how do you feel about going online? Yeah, I'm just, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. And I think with the, like you've said, the amount of work that's involved, you need to be 100% sure. On one sense, I love the idea of meeting people from other places and having this group, you know, of people. But 
I don't know if it's enough, maybe, right now. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure. I think I'm going to have to, you know, think about it a lot. Because for me as well, you know, social media is not second nature. It's quite difficult. I don't think it is for anybody. Or no, that's not true. Actually, it is for some people. I just said that because it's not for me. (laughs) I really, really struggle with it, Anna, really a ton. And I've found some ways to make it work for me, but it is not natural for me at all. I'm very private. (laughs) I'm very not a sharer. Like even with the people I'm intimate with, I'm constantly working to like express myself more and share more about what's going on internally. Like even Mm -hmm. with my closest people. So the concept of of being online and sharing things online to strangers, it's not natural for me. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I, I cringe every time I press the go button. But, you know, at the, at the same time, the, what I was thinking with the yoga for and women, especially, I was thinking, you know, like how, how the journey for myself, for example, is postnatal. Sometimes you don't want to leave the house or it's very hard to leave the house and you don't have that support network and having that ability to connect them with others. Actually at home, it's quite nice. I mean, I always used to be very skeptical of online classes but since being a student online i'm like okay yeah this this works and you can grow a little mini community thanks to the whatsapp and you can still have a connection so that is where i thought okay this would might be quite nice for these women who can't get out there or you know or just don't want to get out there right now but want that ability to happen but there is also that issue of like how many other people are doing it and then I think okay no but my voice is different to someone else's so I have that internal little thing going on as well are you teaching online at all I'm teaching one class online since COVID um, they went online and we never went back to the studio so they're really close but it's working for them it's better for them and it's better for me so we've, we've kept it that way yeah, so you you could play around with some other online structures and formats, but start with the community you already have. Don't start by trying to, especially because you're not comfortable with social media, don't start by trying to build something, build a big audience and then figure out from there. Start with the people you're already connected to. I mean, you probably have people you know from all around the world, right? Mm-hmm. So you can start with the people you already know figure out, okay, how do I make something small, sustainable, and play around with that for a bit. And then the more you get comfortable with that format, you can, you can expand from there. And then eventually you can start to work on how to build a bigger audience, but building a bigger audience, is like a full-time job. And you don't want to take that on unless you're sure. If I was to do this, I would never want the groups to be huge. I scoffed at five, but eight is my is my happy number. When I have eight people, that just feels perfect. We have to wrap up soon because I have another call, but I did want to touch on one last thing, which is that you mentioned in your intake form the idea of possibly incorporating some other modalities such as psychology or somatic therapy, which would enable you to work one-on-one, maybe get some 
insurance reimbursement or something like that. I don't know how, how it works in France, but I'm curious where you're at with that idea. Yeah. So this is a little something that's been going on in my head for years and years and years. In fact, when I was like 16 and I was choosing my subjects, I was like, oh, I want to be a psychologist, but I need life, I need life experience to do that. So I'll do that later on. Then, yeah, when I started practicing, especially yoga therapy, thought, God, maybe I owe it to my clients to have a little bit more knowledge there. However, I don't need to go that deep, maybe, you know, like I am a yoga therapist. I'm not a psychotherapist. And if I felt like somebody needs to go that, along that line, then I need to refer because that, that's my passion and that's what I do. And I just need to build on that if that makes sense. I think that's where I'm going, really. And trusting in myself more, a little bit more, I think, in what I've already learned and, and will continue learning, I'm sure, but in the sense, in the realm of yoga. The reason I asked is because you had mentioned this feeling of having tapped out your local community. And mm. I do think, like, for example, psychotherapy is so compatible with yoga and it's so natural to weave what you learn as a yoga therapist into this structure of psychotherapy where there's more understanding of what that is. There's so much overlap between yoga and psychotherapy. It can be very easy to introduce people to yoga who are like, oh, I didn't realize that was what yoga was. I thought it was standing on your head, you know, that kind of thing. And if you feel clear from the inside that your identity is as a yoga therapist and you don't want to go back to school and you don't want to mix modalities, I think that's valid too. Yeah, I mean, it's not a sense of like not wanting to go back to school because I actually love it, secretly love studying. And, you know, maybe in the future I will do that. But I think what I've noticed is that what I have is maybe it is enough. It's more about working with what I have rather than chasing after course after course and being like, I won't be good enough until I've done this course, until I have that too, until I, you know, it's, it's unpacking what I have already at this moment and working with that and and maximizing what I have to be of service and maybe later on that will be the next stepping stone I mean it, it sounds <laughs> super fun to me too do you feel more clear now after our conversation do you feel like you got what you were hoping for or do you have any lingering questions no I mean it's it's been so, so great to actually be able to talk to talk to you, Madhu, because, you know, I, I absolutely love listening to your podcast. You, It's so clear when you speak and actually having the opportunity to speak with you about my situation. Yeah, I do feel, you know, a lot clearer. I'm going to have to just sit down and process. So it's definitely been a help to be able to get the words out and have feedback from those words. Yeah, have that mirror been a definite help. Thank you. I'm glad to hear it. Well, Anna, thank you so much for sharing your story and your exploration of how to make this sustainable. I really appreciate it. And I hope that we can stay in touch and have more conversations in the future. Thank you so much, Madeline. Thank you so much for your time. It's really invaluable. Thank you. <laughs>